In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and reefs to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet, he had not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he caught up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to their faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders from, for them in each church and, with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's uh, great, uh, as Alex says, we're continuing in this uh, little series through uh, the book of Acts. Um, it's an a time in the early church when the gospel message of Jesus is spreading uh, rapidly uh, across the, the whole area of the world. Um, and as the apostles, along with uh, other members of uh, the early church, uh, proclaim and teach about the resurrected Jesus Christ, uh, yes, so many are becoming Christians. Uh, in every direction, the gospel is spreading. And it must have been an incredibly exciting time. At the beginning of chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas are commissioned, uh, sent out on this, uh, their first uh, missionary journey. Last week, we uh, looked at uh, the world-changing message they proclaimed, uh, how they spoke of the resurrection 
of the Lord Jesus, uh, the, the proof that he is the Christ, the Messiah, uh, the one who has conquered the grave, uh, who rises to new life and offers uh, that life to the world. And, and we're told in chapter 13 uh, that as that message was proclaimed, uh, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Uh, an incredible time, God at work bringing salvation to many uh, building his kingdom. Uh, and if you've been a Christian for any length of time and uh, you've known people who have gone from being non-Christians to Christians, you know something of that excitement, of that joy, of that wonder when people come to know Jesus for the first time. Uh, but it wasn't all smooth sailing. Uh, it wasn't all straightforward uh, or easy for Paul. Uh, and no doubt, um, their experiences of opposition, of hardship, of trial were not just experienced by them, but actually by the other apostles, the other members of the early church, and throughout the history of the church. Uh, as people bring the gospel good news to others, there's often been opposition and hardship uh, in lots of different ways. And today in our passage, uh, we're going to consider three different ways in which we uh, find opposition to uh, the gospel. Uh, and all three are connected with alcohol. Uh, it's a bit early in the morning, so I won't bring out my prop and uh, show you what it is uh, in real life. But we've got these pictures of alcohol. How does alcohol connect with uh, the difficulties and the trials of sharing the gospel? Well, firstly, uh, blurred vision. Second, stumbling. Uh, and thirdly, uh, early drinking. Uh, probably, hopefully not uh, things that were too familiar with for ourselves. Uh, blurred vision. Uh, what has blurred vision got to do with opposition to the gospel? When we drink, often our vision is impaired. Uh, we do not see clearly. Uh, we do not process the things uh, that are in front of us as accurately uh, as we otherwise would. And the passage we're looking at today, well, there's a pretty comical scene. Uh, there's no alcohol involved, but there's definitely a case of not seeing clearly, a case of uh, mistaken identities because people aren't uh, registering uh, the things that are in front of them. And there are plenty of funny images on the internet where regular people uh, look like famous celebrities. Uh, take this picture, for example. Uh, six incredibly famous friends... But as you look a bit more closely, they're not actually famous. Uh, they're not the ones that we might have been expecting. Uh, or this one, uh, apparently taken somewhere in Thailand. Uh, the shopkeepers excited to have been visited by Tom Cruise. Uh, you can imagine the scene, right? This guy, he's just on holiday, having a good time. He pops into a shop, uh, and suddenly the shopkeeper's coming around the front. He's super excited. He's shouting in his native tongue, and this guy's like, what's happening? And then he, he's calling the chefs to come from the back, and all he can pick out are these two words that keep getting repeated. Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, come. And then they're taking selfies. They're asking for a signature, and the guy's like, what is going on? And then he realizes, ah, the guy thinks I'm famous, and... His photo is immortalized on this guy's wall um, for people on the internet to enjoy. Uh, that's perhaps something of what it was like for Paul and Barnabas here in Acts chapter 14. Uh, they've gone there sharing the gospel. Uh, they're, they're, they've been super excited all this time at seeing people become Christians. Uh, and then suddenly they're having to desperately plead with the people in front of them. <laughs> I'm not Zeus. 
I'm not Hermes. I don't have winged sandals. I don't throw lightning bolts from my hands. Uh, but the people just won't believe them. And as the scene continues, as it develops, they hear that the priest from the temple is coming, pulling some goats, and the goats are being slaughtered, and they're being clothed with reeds, and it's mayhem. It's chaos. There's a serious case of blurred vision. As people look at Paul and Barnabas, all they see are these incredible miracle workers. They've spoken to this man who cannot walk, and suddenly he is able to walk. They think that the gods have visited them. And despite all their uh, pleas, uh, all their explanations, all their crying out, don't sacrifice to us. There's just absolute mayhem as they offer them worship and praise. Everywhere Paul and Barnabas go, they're pointing beyond themselves to the Lord Jesus, saying, look, there is this king who is in heaven, the one who has risen from the dead. But the people of Lystra, they cannot hear the words that are being said. They're focusing only on the ones right in front of them, focusing on this incredible uh, miracle. And we'll come back to the miracle in a little bit. But suddenly, somehow, Paul and Barnabas find themselves as the objects of worship. The spotlight is turned upon Paul and Barnabas. You see, there is this great human inclination to idolatry, and to human worship. We see it all around us in every uh, sphere of life. Uh, We see it in every generation of the history of mankind. We must be careful. We must be careful not to elevate ourselves for worship, and we must be careful not to have others elevated before us that we might worship them. Paul in verse 16 says, We too are only human. Why are you doing this? We're bringing you good news. We're telling you of this God, but we're just human. We're just mere creatures. At best, humans are pretty good at pointing to Jesus. But in the end, we really are merely humans just like you. We want to point beyond ourselves, says Paul and Barnabas, to the one who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in it. He's the one who shows kindness to you and to the world. He's the one who provides food and fills your hearts with joy. He is the God who creates and sustains all life. You and I, we're just creatures, recipients of God's grace. And it's really important because for us as Christians, it's so valuable, so important, uh, whether it's in growth groups or in other informal or formal friendships, uh, so important for us to find uh, others who will encourage us who will build us up, who will help us to grow as Christians. And praise the Lord for, uh, for those people in our lives who are like that for us. But as we look up to others for encouragement, as we look up to others to uh, help us in our Christian faith, there's always the temptation of elevating them, of lifting them up so that they become gods in our eyes, so that we worship them more than we worship the Lord, so that we love them And we trust them more than we trust the God to whom they point. Uh, There are so many uh, Christians who we could look up to in that way. Whether they're famous, they've written loads of books, they're podcast speakers, they're international ministers, uh, or just people within our own church. So easy for us to worship one another. I find this quote from Whitfield uh, really helpful. Uh, Other men, other women may preach the gospel better than I 
but no man can preach a better gospel. We're all doing the same thing for one another, pointing beyond ourselves to the Lord Jesus. And so it's a, to have this clear focus, focused on Christ, who is at the heart of the gospel, not to have this blurred vision where we look at one another, where we encourage others to look at us and to see well, anything more than a mere creature, a mere human, just like everyone else. And so we're to be careful. We're to be careful not to worship others. Uh, we're to be careful not to live uh, for the praise that comes from other people. Because sometimes we fall into that trap, don't we? We encourage, we serve, we love others. And they say, ah, oh, Leslie, thanks so much. What you said, what you did, that was so helpful. And we get that little bubbly feeling, don't we? Oh, it felt so good to be praised. And we love it. But if we begin to live for that, well, that can be absolutely crippling. It leads to actually great anxiety and worry. Uh, constantly analyzing and think, oh, what will people think of me? Uh, what will people say about what I've done or not done? Have I done enough? Or was it good enough this time? Why didn't they say anything? Is it because they thought it wasn't good? Oh, oh, they said something. Phew. Oh, but what about next time? And there's this constant sense of anxiety and worry, on, constantly on guard, worrying about uh, negative feedback, whether there's enough praise or affirmation. Uh, in the language of John chapter 12, to desire the praise of man more than the praise of God uh, is, will only lead us uh, into the darkness. The praise of man is terrible for many reasons, and we see some of it here in our reading. It comes and goes so quickly. Look at verse 18 of our reading. Verse 18 says, Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Paul and Barnabas are like, don't worship us, don't worship us. Then literally the next verse, verse 19, Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. People are fickle. People are so fickle. One moment we're praising, the next moment we're criticizing. If we live for the praise of other humans, other mere creatures, it can only lead to darkness and sadness and brokenness and ultimately to death. No, no instead we must, for ourselves and for those around us, keep our focus only on the Lord Jesus, pointing only to him to his glory, and to his praise. Which brings us to our second point, uh, stumbling. Stumbling off the narrow path. Uh, I don't know if police actually do it, but you know in the movies when someone's caught drunk driving and they're made to walk this narrow line, uh, see if they can walk. If you've seen someone who's drunk, you, can, you know it's hard. Uh, often people will stumble and fall. They can barely stand up straight, let alone walking in a straight line. Paul was absolutely single-minded about walking that narrow path of preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that was the only thing he sought to do. Verse 7, just before our reading, we have these words. They continued to preach the good news as they traveled location after location after location. And then towards the end of our reading, verse 21, they preached the good news in that city, everywhere they went. All they were doing was pointing to Jesus. But it's so easy, so very easy for us to stumble off that narrow path, to be distracted by other things. Here in Acts 14, 
the key moment uh, when in the, the ears of their hearers, in the eyes of those before them, the key moment when things go off the rails is in verses 9 and 10. Uh, this healing, this man who is uh, lame, who is unable to walk, uh, Paul sees him, sees that he had faith to be healed, and he calls out, stand up on your feet. And he did so. What an incredible moment. Miraculous, complete, instantaneous healing for a man who had never walked in his life. But we need to be careful. As incredible a moment as that was, as wonderful as that healing was, that is not the primary reason for which Paul entered into that place. He did not come first and foremost to bring physical healing to these mortal bodies. This man, healed as he was, one day would not walk again. One day, he would, like all of us, end up in the grave. His body was healed, but only for a short time. Paul's foundational task is to point to Jesus, to the resurrection life that is to come. Paul's not primarily putting band-aids on the troubles of this life. The church is to do many things. We're to be involved in many areas of life, but at its very core, we are a worshiping community rejoicing in the glory of God, namely worshiping Christ, the resurrected Lord over all the world. And so we're not to be distracted by anything, not even miraculous physical healings, which by the way, from our experience and from the history of the church, we know that many, many godly men and women have had illnesses and sicknesses of body or of mind, and they've prayed. They've prayed, trusting that the Lord can and does sometimes heal, and many have not been healed. Uh, Here we're told this little phrase, Paul saw that the man had faith to be healed. What he's not saying is that if you have faith, you will definitely get the answers to your prayers in the affirmative. This is really important, right? Just prior to our reading in verse uh, 3 of this chapter, we're told why the Lord acted in such miraculous ways at that time. Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. The Lord was confirming the message of his grace, confirming the message about Jesus Christ. And throughout the history of the world, it seems to me uh, that uh, it's where the message of Jesus Christ is breaking new ground, where it's going to a place where the church has not been established. That's where these miraculous signs seem to be given as a way of affirming, of confirming that the message of Jesus is true, as a testimony that Jesus truly has conquered death. This is really important for us because otherwise we'll think, why has the Lord not answered my prayers? Do I not have enough faith to, what, force the Lord to do the things that we want him to do? Faith is not the means by which we turn God into a genie where we rub the lamp with our faith and then that pops this genie and he must do what I ask him to do. No, no, our great hope is that one day the Lord Jesus will return. He will make all things new. He will restore the world, but not yet. The message that we bring is first and foremost that of the spiritual health and renewal that the Lord Jesus brings. 
and one day the physical renewal that will follow. You know, where the message of Jesus takes hold of a society, we often find it does transform society. It redeems uh, the communities that we find ourselves in. Uh, So often, um, Christians are at the forefront of uh, opening schools, uh, opening hospitals, uh, pioneering care for the poor, the weak, the needy, the marginalized. Of course, we do care about physical health. We do care about this current experience of life. These are all good things to be working towards. But they are not the primary task of the church. At the very core, at the heart of who we are, we stay on this narrow path of proclaiming that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Because God cares for the vulnerable, we care for the vulnerable. Because God is a God of life and renewal, we minister to those who are physically sick. Because God is concerned for the frail, uh, and he shows love to his whole creation. Uh, therefore, we show dignity. We love and we look after the elderly. Uh, we do our best. Uh, we do uh, our, our spiritual best in proclaiming the Lord Jesus when we also look after the needs of people physically and practically. But all this we do because we stick to that narrow path, not stumbling off it to the left or to the right, but pointing always people to the Lord Jesus And then thirdly and lastly, uh, the danger of early drinking. Uh, Alcohol is a great gift to us. Wine, we're told in the Bible, is uh, able to gladden the heart to bring joy to a community. And many people enjoy uh, a nice drink now and again, but alcohol can be a terrible vice. Uh, One symptom of which is when people are drinking early, early in the morning, feasting at the wrong time of day, maybe it's nine o'clock and you see someone having a drink, you know, probably a sign that things aren't going so well. Feasting at the wrong time, drinking too soon. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, they're on the second half uh, after this, um, uh, towards the end of our reading, they're on the second half of this first missionary journey. They're heading back towards their sending church and they go back to the various places that they visited. In verse 21 and 22, we read, They returned to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And this is what their message boiled down to. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. You know, there are good things uh, to be enjoyed, but often only at the right time. Uh, So sports, if you watch sports, if you watch the Olympics, you see people winning gold. But what we don't see is the many, many hours and hours and hours of training, of practice, of failing, of struggling, of succeeding, of failing, of struggling, of training, until that moment when it is the time to celebrate. At school, there's hours and hours, months and months of study, of memorization, of hard work, of doing test after test before the big day of the exam so that they can rejoice when the results come out. At work, the hours of preparation of discussion, of planning, so that, that at the time of the presentation, they can do a good job and win that big contract for their company. First comes hard work. First comes suffering, often. Then glory. Suffering, then glory. First comes hardship, and then the kingdom of God. In verse 23, we're told that uh, Paul and Barnabas, they pray and they fast. And, and so often, that's what 
we read of their lives and uh, the way they give themselves to ministry. Their ministry is one that's characterized by prayer and fasting. Uh, here, we read earlier, didn't we, that they suffered. Paul was stoned to the point of death. They suffer at the hands of their persecutors. Uh, why? Is this all okay? Why is it that they deliberately fast and experience for themselves this sensation of hunger, of not having enough? Because now is not yet the time to feast. Now is not yet the time to drink of the wine of the kingdom. There is a wedding banquet on the horizon. There is a time of celebration that is yet to come. But now is a time of preparation. Now is a time, yes, even of suffering before then we celebrate in glory. This is another reason why we're not to focus on partial healings for the here and now. Uh, the lame man who couldn't walk, who rose and was able to walk again. You know, these things are great gifts to us, sure. And, and yes, we do pray. And sometimes the Lord in his grace and his mercy and his wisdom does answer our prayers in the affirmative. But a lot of these prayers for these earthly things we don't know what the Lord will say. He hasn't made any promise to answer those prayers in the affirmative. But there is a prayer. There is a longing in our hearts that the Lord has promised he will say yes to. You know, we look out across this world and there's so much that has gone wrong. There's typhoons in Hong Kong. There's flooding. There's the earthquake that we prayed for earlier. There's wildfires in Greece. Uh, the nations are in uproar. The world is an absolute mess. And in the middle of all that mess, we might cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, when are you going to make it all right? Will you please make it right? And the Lord says, yes, I've promised that prayer, that longing of your hearts, I will answer in the affirmative. I will come again. I will send the Lord Jesus. He will make all things right. All that is wrong will be wiped away. All that is sad will be redeemed and turned to joy. All that is dead will be banished. And there will only remain that which is full of life and vitality and goodness for endless ages. There is a new creation that is coming. And that will be the time when together in the presence of God, we will rejoice we will celebrate forever. But for now, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. The story of Acts is the story of God's work in bringing the message of the good news of Jesus to the whole world. Uh, and the work of evangelism is super exciting. Seeing people become Christians Maybe as you look around, you know people here and you've seen them on their journey of becoming Christians. It's super exciting. There's so much joy in it. But this is a path that is also a hard one. We should not be surprised when things are difficult, when friends or family give us a hard time because of the decisions that we make, the things that we say or do. Uh, even when we speak with great gentleness and wisdom, still there may be times when persecution, when suffering comes our way. It's still costly for us to pursue active witness for our Christian faith. We still need to spend our time and energy and resources. It will cost us to walk this path. It will cost us to share the gospel with others. It will mean sacrificing opportunities to get ahead in this life. But we do it because we have our eyes fixed ahead to that day when Jesus returns 
when all is made new and when the kingdom of God is fully brought to bear in this world. And this is no less than what Jesus himself has done for us. His life was one of suffering and then glory. Hardship in order to bring in the kingdom of God. And so as the church of Jesus Christ, we are to continue to join in with this work of spreading the flame of the gospel. And as we do so, we are to beware blurred vision. Careful not to focus, have our focus or others on any human creature, but to continually look to the Lord Jesus. We're to beware stumbling off that narrow path, being distracted by the things of this world, the concerns of this world preaching always that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and we're to beware mistimed early drinking, drinking before the time of celebration. Now is a time of hardship and we do all this longing that many, many, many more would come to know the life of the Lord Jesus and rejoice with us in him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do give you great thanks for that wonderful message of Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Father, fill our hearts with compassion for the lost, that we, like Paul and Barnabas, uh, like the Lord Jesus, would expend ourselves in pointing others to your glory and to your goodness, to the forgiveness that is found in you, to the life that is offered by you. Our Father, fill our hearts with such compassion for the lost, with such a wonder at your glory, uh, that we might serve you well. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.